Welcome to the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio, where we talk about real estate, passive investing, business strategies, and so much more. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb, CEO of HPG Capital. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb, co-founder of HBG Capital. And today I've got Sam Wilson on the show. He is the founder of Brick and Investment Group. He's got over nine years of successful real estate experience. And I'm excited to talk to him because he's done everything from self-storage, parking, multifamily apartments, single family, multiple RV resorts. He's got a diverse background in business in general. He was telling me about some of his fitness businesses that he's got going on, I think, in the Tampa market. So I'm excited to talk about those today. But he brings a lot of strategic value and meaningful relationships to each opportunity. He hosts the How to Scale Commercial Real Estate podcast, where he interviews the brightest in the industry and he teaches others how they can also grow their portfolios. Sam, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Brandon. The pleasure's mine. So I want to kick this off because we got a lot to get into, but give people a brief synopsis. What are you up to today? And then tell us your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, uh, what I'm up to today is, well, I mean, there are three things I'm up to. You know, I've got my, I'm up to my elbows in RV resorts, the laundry business and launching uh, a boutique fitness franchise in the Tampa market. Uh, so that keeps me, that's really I mean, there's one other thing in there that's not front and center. So those are the three things I'm really up to today. How did I get there? Uh, just hungry, man. I grew up really poor and, uh, <laughs> and it, and, and there's nothing, nothing like, uh, want and need to drive creativity and, uh, entrepreneurial, um, initiatives. So that's, uh, that was kind of my start. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And that's, uh, what has carried me through to this day is, just trying to find a need or find a hole in the market and then find an effective way to fill it and get paid for doing so. Tell us about that first opportunity. You said you focus on holes. What was that hole that you saw and what was the business that you first jumped into? And then maybe how did that evolve into everything that you are today? Because you know the biggest mistake we see a lot of entrepreneurs, especially people who are just starting out make, is they have their hand in anything, they're not focused, they're running multiple businesses and they're running them all, but they're not running them well. I feel like you're talking about me, man. And that's uh, absolutely true. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. And I am, uh, I am guilty of everything you've just described. And so I've got it on, um, I'm on a mission to one, make everything we're involved in very, very, I want to be very purposeful about it and also not chase shiny objects. I think it's one of the things when you grow up without you think that's the last golden opportunity you see when you see an opportunity it's like oh my gosh man we can make a killer at that let's go do it right because you know you can make you know whatever amount of money and you get stuck in that cycle right mental cycle of just like chasing opportunity you're like squirrels uh, yeah squirrels man absolutely squirrels i think one thing I, that, that that i'm trying to really instill in myself is just this like there will be good deals for the rest of my life and if you say no, it doesn't mean no forever. It just means not now. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I'm really trying to really trying to take to heart. And even today, I had to have a hard phone call with somebody because there was another another RV resort opportunity, and we went and actually looked at it yesterday. I was down in Oklahoma, and we drove down uh, down into Texas, just east of Dallas, and we were on the Texas Oklahoma line, so it wasn't too far, hour and forty five minutes away. When I looked at it, great opportunity. I mean, lots of meat on the bone. But I just had to tell my partner. I said, dude, I just can't. I can't right now. I've got other businesses, other things that have not yet been attended to. I would love to, but not now. 
Um, there's still a way we'll make some money on. I think I think there's there's so much meat on the bone. We're probably just going to put it under contract and wholesale it. So don't, I'm not saying goodbye. I'm just going to make mm-hmm. a little bit up front and keep moving. Um, but those are easy things. Those aren't major time sucks. So that said, that's uh, I don't know if that answers your question or if I just prattled on for far too. Long. What was your first business adventure? What, what was that? Bring us back to that first moment. How did you How did you get involved in entrepreneurship and what what asset class were you involved with? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I kind of was brought up in it. Um, none of my family really was college educated. Uh, most of my siblings, I got a bunch of siblings, but eventually all of us, except for, yeah, eventually all of us went to school. Not that I necessarily think that's the way to, you know, get ahead in life, but we did. Uh, but we grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad always worked for himself in the flooring industry. And then my brother started his own flooring business. And then I kind of just grew up as a single digits on working in the flooring industry. And so then I worked all the way through high school into that. And then my brother and I really launched hot and heavy when I was 21 and um, had about 30 guys working for us and just were going, going nuts. We had a big giant showroom. I mean, lots of guys, lots of material running. It was, it was kind of a baptism by fire. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I was hiring guys twice my age, which I guess I'm now that age I was then. <laughs> So, but it, it was, it was, it was just, yeah, it was baptism by fire. It's like, oh, okay. I got, got guys twice my age who were reporting to me, asking me for a job. Like, this is weird. Um, but that was it. So then at 25, I bought out part of that company from my brother. There was a, there was a uh, arm of the business that wasn't run very well. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of knew it. So I bought that out uh, directly from him, ran that till I was 30 and then sold it because I was done with the trades. I'd had my taste of it. I'd been through the 08 downturn and uh, I was just ready to move on. Also, it was in the Midwest and nothing against the Midwest, but I hated the weather. And so I had to head <laughs> south, man. Or I got, we got family down here. I headed south. didn't know what to do next. And I would say it was a good Lord have a mercy on an idiot. I bought, I bought a house. Again, just being opportunistic. I saw a house for sale or not for sale, but I saw it going up for auction at the uh, courthouse steps. I asked my wife that morning if I could buy it. She said, sure. Two hours later, I owned a house. We flipped it, made a pile of money on it. And here I am nine years later, uh, doing, doing what I'm doing, still doing real estate. Nice. That's a good position to be in. So it sounds like you had your start. Now, I know that with everything you've got your hand in, you you know how to scale and systemize businesses because it's impossible to go from one to the other and say, hey, I'm going to start this new thing until you've got the other one under wraps. Walk us through what have you done to successfully implement scaling a business? And then how do you make a decision when you feel you're ready to then bring something else on and tackle something new? And the other one is more or less self-sustaining or at least close to it. Yeah. And the laundry business is that for us right now. That's a that's a business that I absolutely love. And we are certainly going long in that space. That's something that um, we can get into that a little bit deeper, maybe if you want, but, um, that business, we got up and running. It's a single location right now. And that business serves basically three different client types. It's not just a drop off laundry. We've got staff. We're staffed every day from 8 AM to 11 PM. Like most laundromats aren't staffed. Like the place is super clean. It's well lit. Like we've solved all the major problems that people have going to a laundromat to do laundry. You feel like you're going to get stabbed and you're going to, you know, all the machines don't work. The place is dirty. Nobody's there. Half the stuff says out of order on it. You're like, what in the world? This, you know, it's bad. Like our competition is not competition at all. Um, But I got that business up and running. We we started that about four and a half years ago and it got to the point where, you know, we're clipping a very healthy coupon out of it. And I, it might take me an hour a month, maybe. I mean, it's just not, 
right now it's not, we've got, and trust me, the first year, year and a half, I'm like, what did I just do to myself? Mm-hmm. Like, this is, this is killing me. Uh, there's just so many moving parts, so many, so much employee turnover, this, that failure, this failure. Like you just found out the hard way that, oh my gosh, this is really, you know, just tough. But one of the things that I think we've done really well there is bring on excellent people. I think, you know, systems and processes are good. You can write all you want down in a manual, but until you have people that kind of understand the heart of your business and what you're doing, you're just not going to get it moving forward. Mm-hmm. So having people that you know, that you trust, uh, the laundry business is an incredibly cash heavy business. So setting up, you know, protocols for how cash is handled, when it's deposited, you know, uh, all of those things are really, really important. But uh, I think once we got it to the point where it didn't require me to really input any more of my time, then I said, okay, now we can grow this. Or as, as we did in my case, I kind of just, I kind of just let it run on autopilot for a while and then went over and did some other stuff in real estate. And that's, uh, that's kind of what brings us to today. So I love it. So you fo- first focused on an asset class, whether you knew it or not, but you know, like when I think of laundromats, I don't think of like tons of employees, very specialized labor that you have to find. You know, you might have one or two people there. And as long as you've got the right management in place, when things go down, you've got someone who can jump in and kind of fix it. You were focused on building something that you knew once it was done, it wasn't going to require a ton of your time. I love that. Now let's, I want to jump into like the systems here, because this is like the secret gravy stuff. Tell us some about the systems that you use. Is it specific to a particular asset class that you're in, or have you seen some cross pollination where you're able to kind of copy and paste some of the system that you're using across multiple businesses? Uh, you know, not, there's not a lot of cross pollination. Obviously the disciplines are, you know, the same where you define the roles, you define what's expected of those roles, you define the KPIs, uh, and those things are really important, right? I think when people know what, what's expected of them on a weekly basis, that's really helpful. But, uh, you know, as far as, I mean, those things cross pollinate, but I would say that, you know, as far as software solutions or as far as like, you know, a lot of that stuff just doesn't translate from. RV resorts to laundromats or from, and we have, you know, the gym, the gym franchise is, uh, we're in in the middle of site selection right now. So that hasn't even gone live, but either way, there will still be the same, Hey, let's define what the role is. Let's define what the KPIs are. And then let's hold ourselves accountable to it, whether it's me or a member of the team. Like this is just, I think that's, that's the best way in my mind to really set things up, uh, properly. So what does your your battle rhythm look like with these systems and processes? So it sounds like each, no matter what niche you're in, you're going to have key performance indicators for that position. You're going to have accountability set up for them. You're probably doing something around. You've got some hiring systems and processes. What does that battle rhythm look like? How do you go about selecting key performance indicators for a specific position if you're bringing that on? Yeah, I mean, well, it needs to be tailored to that position. Like, what are you trying to solve? Right. Like, okay, if this is the start at the end and work your way back, um, I forget what the rest was an excellent question, Brandon, but I I probably uh, told you I'm fatigued. I've been driving for the last seven and a half hours. Um, No, that's okay. I was asking. So when you're 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 trying to pick out key performance indicators for a specific position, how do you go about selecting those key performance indicators? And then uh, what does your your battle rhythm look like to instill accountability? Yeah. Regular meetings is one thing that I've found to be incredibly helpful. I hate meetings. I'll just say that up front. I have this internal revolt, especially as the founder entrepreneur syndrome of like, if you make me sit down in a meeting and talk, I want, I mean, just where, where can I bang my head? Is there a table somewhere close? Cause I just, I can't, I, you know, we just want to go out and do stuff. Like want to buy 
buy assets and just, you know, keep stuff moving. And, and, and I have to fight that internal war because it's like, no, like sitting, sitting down and having a, a scheduled team meetings every single week at the same exact time, 8.30 on Tuesday mornings, it's laundry meeting. We have to sit down. We have to plan for the week. We have to go over things we've done right, things we've done wrong, stuff we've heard from the customer, stuff that's broken, fix those systems. And having that regular cadence there is incredibly helpful. Uh, you know, when it comes to even, I can even tell you a little bit about my marketing, uh, marketing admin. I mean, you know, every single Monday morning at 9 a.m. we have a meeting. We go over the past week's you know, podcast downloads. We go to the number of people that subscribe to our list. We go over, you know, content that she's created. We go over any corrections on that. Or, I mean, it's just, you've got to, you've got to have those meetings in place that kind of hold everyone accountable, accountable. If you don't, then, I mean, a lot can happen in a week. So I think that's probably oddly enough, been one of the most powerful things that we've implemented is just regular meetings, whether or not you think you have something to talk about, something always shows up. So I think that's, that's probably been one of the best. Yeah, you've got to have accountability because if something is not assigned to somebody, it's not assigned to anybody. And if it doesn't get done, you're going to have a gap in the system and it's not going to run. You're definitely not going to be able to move on and, and start something new. So these systems, they've enabled you to be involved in multiple different sectors. So when when you said, hey, I want to get involved in multiple different sectors, was there a bigger or larger motivation behind that? Because a lot of people want to focus on one specific thing and get really good at one specific thing, but it sounded like you maybe had a like a higher reasoning for diversifying. There, there, there has been a higher reason, but I will say that the, that the reason didn't really become clear uh, until I had kind of gotten into it. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is why I'm doing this. I like this because of reasons X, Y, and Z. I will say that everything up to this point I've gotten involved in is really been opportunistic. And it gets to go back to your initial question of like, how have you done this without getting overwhelmed? Well, I haven't entirely. There's been a lot of times when I have been overwhelmed. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm just running too many directions, too many things at once. Yeah. Um, but that said, hey, what my my end goal, my own is my own home cooking is 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 that I want to be able to serve every demographic in every market cycle in some meaningful way. And so the the three things we're involved in are RV resorts. We are involved in the laundry business. And we're involved in boutique fitness. Now you say boutique fitness, what is that? Well, I can we could do a whole podcast on why we chose the brand we're involved in, what that looks like, why it's entirely different than everything else really that's on the market. Um, but it's really cool. And it also serves kind of the upper end, uh, you know, the top 10% of earners in the US. And it's like, okay, we go into a recession, like the people, wealthy people that stay fit, stay fit no matter what the economic cycle is. I, I can just tell you because I work out with these people all the time and it's like, they're still going to prioritize your health because health is wealth and they understand that. And so when you have a boutique fitness, you know, gym, it's like, okay, once your member member base is built that understands the, the value proposition, mm -hmm. they stick around. And I've seen that certainly to be true because I have firsthand experience as a member of this particular franchise, uh, boutique fitness gym. So it's like, okay, cool. That's, I've got that checked. Then you move into the laundry business and it's like, okay, people that are generational laundromat users, it's actually a thing, believe it or not, at our laundry facility, they're like, I came here with my grandparents and they, you know, I came with my mom and now I'm here and now my kids come with me and their kids come with me. You're like, wow, what in the world? You guys have been coming to this laundromat for like, you know, 60 years. <laughs> it's crazy. It's in the family now. <laughs> in the family. Right. But that said, uh, in good times, that demographic that kind of mid to lower income earner needs a laundromat in good times, right? 
-hmm. in bad times. They need a laundromat even more because let's assume that maybe they went out and got a washer and dryer at some point. Well, you know, a new washer and dryer costs you two grand now for a decent one. Mm -hmm. like, that's just, that's a lot of loot for people like that to go scrape up and go buy and put in a new washer and dryer. So as the economy worsens, actually the self-serve side of our business will get better. Not that I'm wishing that on them, but it does. It just, it just gets better. We're already seeing it right now. It's like, oh, wow. You know, the, uh, the, uh, we call it coin op, though we're moving away from actually using coins, but the coin operated side of the laundry business is getting better. Like, this is weird. Okay, great. So I want to be able to serve that demographic, right? And you can serve them in any market cycle. Then there is, and again, we have a staffed laundromat. There's kind of that middle income earner that doesn't want to do their laundry. And so they bring it off and they drop it off for our staff to wash, dry, and fold. Believe it, we do, we do a lot of that from the middle income earners. And then we also have a delivery service for commercial clients and which is not really recession resistant. You know, when, when, when the economy takes a dump, your, your commercial clients are probably gonna go away and or reduce their usage, but that's okay because we have the other end of the spectrum carrying, carrying their weight, uh, you know, pulling the business along. And then we also have the higher income earners that use our delivery service. So we do, you know, delivery, right? You know, branded bags at your door, you can order it on an app. Okay, we'll come pick up your laundry, walk, try and pull it and drop it off the next day. Like. It's pretty cool. So we can serve all of them in any market cycle inside of one business. And then uh, third, let's see, we talked about fitness. We talked about uh, laundry and then shoot RV resorts. RV resorts kind of go all over the map with the demographics of, of RV users. You've got everybody, uh, you know, from pulling their, you know, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 rig all the way up to their half a million dollar rig. I was leaving our newest acquisition that we bought this week, this morning at about 5.45 a.m. in Oklahoma. And I was pulling out, I looked over and I saw this brand new, just massive rig that had pulled in and, and was staying there that night. I'm like, wow, that thing is huge. I'm like, okay, inside of, inside of our own park, you've got everywhere from, you know, half a million dollar rigs down to probably a $20,000 rig. And it's, uh, it's kind of a really interesting business to be in. And that's, that's a whole lifestyle in and of itself of end users that either are permanent RVers. We also serve the RV resort side of things. So, you know, you get a lot of vacationers, a lot of family, and then even inside of RV resorts, like the one we just bought in Oklahoma is actually more of a, um, a medium term, it's not a man camp, but it serves a whole bunch of industries in the area. So people come and stay there for four to six months at a time. They work at the paper mills, the rock quarries, the electric plants. They work at the hydro generation or the uh, hydroelectric generation facilities. So skilled labor that comes in and stays for a while, that's one demographic inside of that resort. But then another one we bought this year, serves the complete, you know, family vacation model at a, at a giant marina on a, on a lake. So it's like, okay, again, a different demographic even inside of that, but we can serve a lot of different people inside of the RV resort sphere. And I think we can do it even in changing economic times. Cause let's assume that the economy completely goes to dump. And I know I'm just, just rapid firing at you here, but let's assume the economy completely takes a dump. Well, okay, fine. Then maybe we don't get the vacationers anymore, but we can move to a long-term stay model. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like a glorified or, or mobile home park. So, you know, there's, there's ways to, uh, adjust and pull different levers in the business at different times, depending on what the market's doing, that will still keep us cash positive. You've done a really good job of going into businesses and expanding what that business is, is focused on. You know, like the laundry business, I would have never thought to set up like a delivery service for that. Sure. It's not year round, but during the years where it is a good business, you're capitalizing on that. And right. And you know, when your competitors go out of, go out of business during the downtimes and you're able to muster through it, you now have that market share of that ancillary service that you've added that's going to make you even more profitable. Yep. I love it. So your it sounds like your main goal is to be able to service debt 
equity investors, your businesses, no matter what the current economy is doing. You know, we've had a pretty big change in the economy this year. You know, what asset types are you focused? Are you looking at adding anything to those? Are you looking at growing to those? And then, you know, what adjustments have you made this year? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, looking to my goal, my big hairy goal, what do they call that? Uh, for day hair, audacious goal. Yeah, what book is that? Hag. Yeah. Oh, uh, from good to great, Jim Collins. Okay, there you go. Thank you. See, I, I need you around more often. I can't, uh, I can't remember anything right now. I feel like I'm about to pass out. I'm so tired. Uh, but yeah, the big hag is 50 laundromats in the next five years. So it's something that the, and the other ridiculous thing about laundry facilities, and I hate to say this, but they're, I mean, you're in the 25 to 30% annualized cash on cash returns. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous. So why don't we own, that was my, that's kind of what I said to myself. I'm like, why don't I own 50 of these? And the opportunity in that space is enormous. I mean, again, you compare, and I'm not just tooting our horn. We have the, the highest rated, most reviewed laundromat in, in Memphis. It's like, wait, what in the world? How did you do that? Well, because all of our competitors suck. They do, and it's and we can provide a product that just nobody else is 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 putting out there that serves families in a really meaningful way, and we get rewarded for it. So that said, the returns are excellent. So we're going to try to build, build and or buy and um, renovate fifty stores in the next five years. So I'm bringing on actually starting January one, bringing on a full time acquisitions guy just for laundromats, which is uh, kind of a big step for me. So I'm like, oh, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of money to spend on. Okay, great. Let's do this. We got this. Um, so that's one thing. And then in the RV resort side, you know, we've bought three so far this year and getting our arms wrapped around that business is a lot of fun in the short term. I'm probably going to kind of pump the brakes on that a little bit while we figure out all of that and try to really, it's kind of like the laundry business. Like let's, I want to, I kind of want to wrestle this beast to the ground and understand it before I go out and just keep tacking on more Mm -hmm. and more and more. Sometimes Sometimes uh, explosive growth is what you should fear more than no growth at all. I know uh, I've even seen that. What was it last year? Last year, I planted a garden. I love to garden. It's kind of cathartic for me. I love to grow fresh tomatoes. And I literally planted my tomatoes and I, and I had this giant trellis system. It was really cool. And nobody else, everybody was like, wow, that's really cool. I'm like, thanks. I kind of own creation. But the <laughs> tomato plants literally grew over 12 feet tall. Whoa. 12 foot tall tomatoes. So they completely outgrew my trellis system and ended up falling back over and the vines all broken. I'm like, oh, this is, this is the lack of planning on my part. And this is what happens. You <laughs> can actually just wreck and kill the whole shooting match because you didn't plant ahead. So sometimes fearing explosive growth is maybe more, and I've been through explosive growth in the, in the flooring business. And it's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to slow that down and understand that business a little bit stronger. And the fitness business also, that's, that's a fun that one is a fun way for me to get involved, to help coach some other people that aren't maybe as um, skilled in business as I am, but I'm bringing on some operators that know the brand that have worked inside it, that have been general managers at various locations for like seven years. They just need that extra push from somebody like me to say, hey, we can go find the capital. I can help be your kind of business coach, but you run it in the day to day. So that in and of itself, yeah, we can grow that is is as much as we want. And it probably won't take more than an hour or two of my time on a weekly basis. And that's kind of what I've committed to it. So yeah, the laundry business is where we're going extra long right now. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great business model because, hey, certain things are always going to be there. 
certain incomes or not, you know, when people's discretionary income goes away, they're probably not going to spend the extra amount of money on that really nice Airbnb or go on vacation, but people are always going to need somewhere to live. They're always going to need food and they're always going to want to do laundry. Uh, that, that there's no getting around that. Doesn't matter how bad things are. They're going to cut other stuff before they do laundry. And I love the metaphor you used with the, with the tomato plant, you know, it grew so big, you weren't ready for it and it just fell over and it was right. a disaster. I see that a lot. Uh, Sam, this has been a great conversation. If people want to learn more about you, get in touch with you, look at investment opportunities, how do they do that? Yeah, go to the Bricken, just go to BrickenInvestmentGroup.com, B-R-I-C-K-E-N, InvestmentGroup.com. You can sign up there, join our uh, our Bricken Investor Club. That's where I send out all of our opportunities. I also send out a weekly newsletter that just kind of gives some color into what it is that I'm seeing in the marketplace and what we are up to. So, Certainly go there, sign up. Happy to uh, schedule a call and talk to anybody. You'll get an opportunity through that, uh, through that as well when you sign up there. So that's the best way. Again, Bricken, B-R-I-C-K-E-N, investmentgroup.com. All right, go check out BrickenInvestmentGroup.com. We'll post the links to that at the bottom. Sam, this has been an absolute pleasure. Till next time, my friend. Thank you, Brandon.